fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Shoot it down, baby! Shoot it down! What the heck are we doing in this country when we... Allow the Chinese just to randomly have something float across our skies, checking us out, doing our thing. I know that we're surveilled on a daily basis, but come on, man. How hard can it be to say, you know what, China is gathering information. They're not our ally. We do business with them, and we probably should start like limiting the amount of stuff that we do with them. Anyways, but... The weather balloon slash spy balloon continues to float across the U.S. as we figure out how the hell we're going to handle it instead of a very easy decision to be made here. What a mess. Welcome into the program. What's up? It's a Friday. we got a lot to get to today. Broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, radio, TV, live streaming, and podcasting. However you watch or listen or hang out to us here on the show, welcome. We love you to death. Your Millennial General reporting for duty like we do every single day. Loaded show for you today. We got an interview we'll play here in just a moment. Uh, as we have double, we doubled up today, again, wrapping up the program. We've done that a lot this week. Normally, we only have one guest today, but this week we've had a lot of days where we've had two. Just because there's so much going on, we want to talk to as many people as possible. Bottom of the hour, we have Simone Collins. She is the co-author, her and her husband are author of the book, The Pragmatics Guide to Crafting Religion. As we see... Uh, the pop- world population slowly beginning to decrease, less families having children. Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Especially in Western civilization and the ongoing quote-unquote wokeness. We'll talk about that here in just a little bit because, by golly, uh, they want us to not continue to have a population. And does this fall in line with different studies scientifically that we've seen and experimented on throughout the years as well? So we'll talk with her about the book, The Pragmatic, uh, Pragmatist's Guide to Crafting religion we'll have that here in just a little bit also of course we have the record number of job growth here in the country under the biden administration the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years right is it true (laughs) they say it's great while the economy's slowly working its way up here's the weird part that labor department's bureau of labor statistics says that 517,000 non-farm jobs are created for the month of january above the estimates of 100 and 83,000. We more than doubled the amount of jobs for the month than what we was expecting, with a lot of them being gained in leisure and hospitality, professional and business services. Employment also increased in the government by almost 74,000, partially reflecting from the return of workers from a certain strike. So let me get this straight. We had strikes going on across the nation. They're going back to work. That's considered job growth. At the same time, we're still recovering from COVID, where the industries that are gaining right now are the industries that have still been struggling with prior to COVID-19. And yet, they say that it's job growth, and they applaud the Biden administration for growing that, while every economic expert out there is telling you a recession is about to happen. What a joke. What a mess. We'll talk about it in length here in just a little bit. But I want to get to our guest here for the first part of the program as we get into our latest in what's trending. 
What's trending today? As we kick off the program today from a good friend down in the state of Oklahoma, just south of where we're based out of here uh, in Wichita, Kansas. He is the U.S. Senator from the state of Oklahoma and a member of the Intelligence Committee in the Senate. It's U.S. Senator James Lankford back on the program as he sat down with us uh, just yesterday here on The Voice of Reason, and this is what he had to say. Senator, how are you, my friend? I'm doing very well, actually. Doing very well, thank you. Good. It's always good to chat with you. You're actually coming out uh, right out of the gate this morning from the National Prayer Breakfast. How'd that go this morning? Uh, that actually went very well, actually. So uh, w- once a year, uh, House, Senate, the President, and the Vice President all get together for a prayer time. This happened for the last 71 years, uh, actually, and it's a uh, gathering time. It's just a good reset moment. Quite frankly, a lot of nations don't do this, but I think we do have a, a tremendous impact uh, from just gathering together to be able to pray together and be encouraged. And uh, it was a it was a really sweet time, both worship, uh, but also a good time of refreshing to say, hey, you know, Jesus was serious when he said, pray for those who persecute you and uh, lo- love your neighbor as yourself. And how can we be reconciled? Those are biblical principles. And though we have strong disagreements, they can't get into personal attacks. Yeah. Well, good. It, at least it's one of those times, very f- few and far between in Washington, D.C. and across the nation. But it's one of those few times where maybe we can actually come together and find some common ground. You bet. Yeah. You bet. Well, hopefully we find common ground to say we need God's help. Hopefully <laughs> no one's arrogant enough to say I'm smarter than God. Oh, well, that's the hope. That's the hope for sure. Uh, so good. I'm glad. There's a lot of stuff going on in D.C. Obviously, let's hit the big one uh, first. Let's spend the discussion over the last day or so. We've seen Kevin McCarthy and the president talk about the debt ceiling. Obviously, you coming from the Senate, a little bit more difficult with the Democrat majority still there. But you guys have been working on a bill with the uh, uh, the government shutdown act of the prevention of that because I mean we don't want the government to shut down at the same time I have to say I'm sure that a lot of people are frustrated they do not want to see another debt ceiling raised without at least some substantial cuts in the government and getting things back under the control where's the conversation looks and stand right now in the US Senate so we've got several months to be able to work through this but that doesn't mean we should delay it we should we should be talking about it every day as we are right now that's a good thing and frankly I I like the fact that we now have a national conversation about debt and deficit. We talk about this as an office year after year after year, and a lot of times no one else is talking about it. And it's very frustrating to me to think, okay, we all should be talking about this. We are. We're now all talking about it. That's a good thing. Uh, So that's step one. Step two is all this conversation to say, well, we should just raise the debt ceiling and not have any negotiation on it. Just raise it, not change anything. And I I don't think most of the American people would agree with that. But also the, the reason we have a debt ceiling vote at all, no other country does this but us, is so that we would talk about debt and deficit when we get to this moment. So the reason we have this vote at all is to talk about it. Uh, so we are actually having that conversation say, how do we change the, the – 10 years ago, we had $10 trillion in total debt. Now we have $31.5 trillion in total debt. We can see the acceleration that's occurring in debt right now. We can't just ignore that. So what I've been a proponent for all along is we've got to change the way we do budgeting. We've got to change the process on this. We can't fix it in a year. It's too massive. But we can't change the direction of what we're doing and pay more attention to this. So th- th- this is this is a structural change that I'm pushing for to say the status quo's got to go. We've got to focus on what are we doing to be able to change it. One of the proposals we have is preventing government shutdowns uh, because a lot of bad bills get voted on because 
leaders will say, hey, we've got to vote on this bill or we'll have a government shutdown, and everyone votes on a bad bill uh, because we don't have a government shutdown. That's a terrible idea. We should take that off the table, keep negotiating, and let's actually focus on the things that will turn things around without this looming threat hanging over everyone's head. Well, we have to. I mean, we're sitting right now, if we try to pay off the entire debt right now, it would consume 100% of the GDP going into every man, woman, and child's business and home and trying to take every penny they have. That's unsustainable, and that's so drastically different from just 20 years ago where we had to cap it with our debt at 40% of our GDP. So just in a 20-year span here between both Republican and Democrat administrations, we've gone far beyond that, and they just want to raise it without any question. What boggles me is that the Biden administration says it's a non-starting point to even think about cuts, and then the media blames Republicans for not willing to negotiate to raise the debt ceiling. I I find that quite interesting. Welcome to the national media. It's always the Republicans' fault, no matter what it is. If the if the president can step out and say something that most of the American people would think is irrational, ignore the national debt, just keep going. Most people are not in that spot, uh, but he can say that and get away with it. Republicans can say, "Hey, we need to talk about this and debate it," and that's a crazy thing to do. It's not a crazy thing to be able to talk about debt and deficit and determine how we got out of it. Now, everybody can point fingers in the past, and you're right, over multiple Republican and Democrat administrations to say it's not addressed. Uh, you remember in 2011, uh, there was a big back and forth over the debt ceiling uh, that led to what was called the Budget Control Act. It literally lowered spending for two years in a row. That was a negotiation President Obama, Obama had uh, with a Republican House of Representatives to be able to negotiate how we actually lower our spending and change that trajectory. That happened in uh, 2011. I think what the Republican House is looking for is to say, let's sit down again and let's figure out how to be able to get this right. That didn't make a difference at that time, but it didn't solve the problem. Let's try to figure this out. Yeah, I know that it's unrealistic now because Democrats still do control the Senate right now and we have a Democrat presidency, but is there any opportunity to pass a bill that just says that, I mean, right now, we're looking at raising the debt ceiling up to, like I said, 130 140% of the GDP. Can we cap it at 100% and say no matter what, even if we don't have a full-on budget because we have an omnibus package, you're never allowed to spend more than 100% of the GDP because that already is absurd, but at least we have to do something. Yeah, we, we, we have to do something. Whether we could get that kind of proposal through a Democratic uh, Senate and Democratic White House, I'd be very skeptical. They don't seem to be as concerned about the debt. They'll say, yes, it's a problem. But the response is always, as long as we're making payments, we're doing fine. Uh, that sounds like you're on the spiral uh, to collapsing. That's, that's the famous uh, family that's got so much debt, they're now using credit cards to buy groceries. Yep. And they realize that I, I can't keep making just the minimum payments. You never get caught up on those credit cards if you're making minimum payments ever. And so we're at that point now as a country, we've got to get serious about what are we going to do on spending, how are we going to handle our revenue, and then what is it we're not going to do, and what are we going to make sure that we do even better and more efficiently? Wait a second, Senator. I, I only make $50,000. Why can't I have a half-million-dollar home? What's wrong with you? <laughs> Keeping the American dream away from me. Come on. Yeah, I get that. We we have as a nation uh, definitely the jumbo mortgage of debt. Yeah, exactly. Let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, the other big issue, obviously, has been immigration for a while. What's bothering me and drives me nuts is the fact that we have all these immigration laws on the books already. If we would just enforce them, we could clean up 80% of the problem going on at our southern borders right now. But it seems like everything's hanging on this Title 42 from the COVID pandemic in the in the Trump administration. And that's the big issue on whether we're going to repeal or keep on uh, Title 42. What's the latest going on with the southern border right now? Yeah, Title 42 was all 
always intended to be temporary, always. Uh, it was just during the pandemic itself. The president has now announced uh, that he's going to stop the emergency actions on pandemic uh, by May the 11th. Great. You know, we should have been stopped a long time ago to be able to return us to a sense of normalcy on this. And so Title 42 goes away after May 11th because the pandemic emergency actions go away. But we still have a crisis at the border. Uh, so it, what, what's funny is to me, the Biden administration is saying, hey, we've taken some action and we reduced January uh, to 150,000-ish, somewhere through there for 250,000. And so they're saying it's a massive change on that. That is a decline. But by the way, January is almost always a decline. In fact, I don't know a month of January doesn't go down uh, during just the people illegally crossing the border. And 150,000 crossing the border in January is still higher than any single month during the Trump administration. Uh, so it's still out of control. We're in massive numbers there. Two things have got to happen. One, this administration has got to enforce the law, both deporting people that are illegally present in the country, especially those with criminal actions, or that the court has already stepped in and said they have a, what's called a final order of removal. You've got to go. Uh, those people are not being deported out of our country right now. And so people that get into the country know I'll never be deported. The second thing is this administration is going to enforce what's happening on our southern border and stop treating our border patrol like hotel check-in staff and actually allow them to be federal law enforcement, which is what they signed up for. That would make a huge difference. We also have to make some changes in our asylum law and to be able to clarify how that law should actually be implemented. Quite frankly, Canada did this 20 years ago, changed their asylum law, and it dramatically changed the direction of illegal immigration in Canada because they, their parliament actually took time to actually implement those things. Uh, we continue to be able to just debate it, and my Democratic colleagues don't want to make those changes, and it continues to accelerate a bad problem getting worse. If someone from anywhere in the world can just walk across the border and say, I want asylum, uh, we're the only country that does that. Uh, so that that's just a terrible idea. Literally, when I was in New Arizona three weeks ago on the border, there were more people that had crossed the border in that part of Uzbekistan than there were from El Salvador. Uh, so we've got folks from all over the world that are illegally crossing this border, and if they can get across, they're in, and that's a problem. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. We're back into the program. Thanks for hanging out with us today for a Friday. It is a Friday, man. Thank goodness. TGIF, welcome into it. Getting you set for another weekend here. Thanks again to U.S. Senator James Langford coming on the program. As usual, our recorded interviews went just a little bit longer than what we can air on the program. So after the program, we will be airing and posting the entire interview with U.S. Senator James Lankford, which I highly recommend that you listen to. Again, he is part of the Intelligence Committee, which means we have investigations. We need to get down to the bottom of certain things, and he is privy to certain information regarding UFOs. I'm just throwing that out there. So we do ask him a lot of questions about the Intelligence Committee, along with more issues regarding what's going on at the border as well. It is about double what we were able to air, actually, on the air. So if you want to hear it, you can go to the website at whosyourreason.com. Uh, it has a link to the podcast there. Also, if you use any of the podcasting sites, Apple Music or Spotify or Amazon or 
tune in or whatever else that you use for your podcast we are on there as well on any of them at the voice of reason with andy hoosier find it subscribe to it listen to it we have a lot of, we've been punching out a lot of new content not just with the show but with additional interviews that we can't air on here or just extended interviews we don't get a chance to air the full interview for and you can find them all right there on the podcast we appreciate his time very very much uh in just a little bit we'll have simona collins on the program we'll shift gears with her to talk about some interesting information coming up at the bottom of the hour. He mentioned something that is quite of interest to me, obviously, when we talk about budgetary issues and the debt ceiling, where we need to correct course. And that's the that's kind of the term that I've heard from a lot of Republicans right now is correcting course. We need to steer things the next direction and correct course. We're not going to do that with Democrats in control at all, especially running the Senate and especially running the presidency of the United States. We're not going to see a correcting of course, we're going to see them throw a temper tantrum like we saw with AOC and Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and all those yahoos yesterday after she got booted off of the Foreign Affairs Committee that uh, they're going to throw their temper tantrum when they don't get what they want. They are the absolute children throwing a temper tantrum because they should and demand to get everything that they want. Just as the media has reported uh, this debt ceiling crisis is it is the radical Republican conservatives. The Republican extremists is what the mainstream media is calling us because we say, wait a second, we're not going to just randomly sign off on a whim to raise the debt ceiling above 100% of the GDP, which we've never hit in our entire existence as a nation before. Now they're calling us the loonies and extremists for saying, wait a second, maybe we should think this through and think twice about this issue. Uh, So while we see this headline that the Biden administration's parading right now, that we're up at near 500,000 new jobs, 517,000 new jobs for non-farm jobs created in the month of January alone, you start to ask yourself, where are these jobs coming from? While everything is higher and more expensive, with inflation skyrocketing, food prices are out of control, small businesses can't afford to hire new individuals because it's too expensive right now. They can barely afford the product they're trying to get in and then try and push it out the door for the consumer. Where are these jobs being created? And the only thing I can think of, it has nothing to do with the growing economy and how great the economy is booming right now because everybody's talking about a recession. It doesn't make sense and it doesn't add up, except for when you include one factor that no one's really thought about. Do you see all wherever you're at and whatever state you're in, do you still see the massive push from city, from county, from state government of government programs trying to find random ways to spend the rest of their COVID-19 relief funding. There's trillions of dollars the government spent, and when they couldn't figure out how to spend all of it, they're just randomly giving it away to the states and to the cities and to the counties and even to school boards saying, hey, here's massive amounts of money. Do something with this because we've already allotted it to you, and now we have to give it to you or else we lose it. It's kind of the whole, which is a really stupid way to govern, is either use it or lose it. So, therefore, we have to find a use for it. Here in Kansas, our governor, our government's trying to just randomly find new programs. We're going to give it away for utilities. We're going to give it to small businesses. We're going to give you a tax break. We're going to give you free goodies here, free goodies there. It's Oprah on a grand national scale. You get a free gift, and you get a free gift, and you get a free gift because we have to figure out a way to spend this money. Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason 
with Andy Hoosier. So it took me a half hour of the program to realize on our live video feeds that it's darker in the studio and I kind of like the lighting it is right now. And then I realized I didn't turn on the lights in the studio. I have another studio next to me that has the lights on. Then we have a big window on my other side with light coming in. So it's lit up enough, but realized I didn't turn them on. Wow. It's a Friday. What can I say? Welcome into the program. Multiple radio stations all over the country, live streaming, podcasting, TV, however you watch or listen to the show. What's up? Trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that five pound bag. Trying to rebrand the millennial generation. One radio listener at a time, which I do apologize for our generation on a very frequent basis. I want to get away from politics for just a kind of, at least a little bit, uh, as we wrap up for a Friday here. We have a lot more to get to. Again, if you missed part of our interview with U.S. Senator James Langford out of the state of Oklahoma, we'll have that as an additional special feature podcast with the full-length interview as opposed to the clip that we had to air on the program here because I am really excited to talk about this next topic on the program in our latest in What's Trending. What's trending today? And as I set up this, kind of set the stage for our next guest here that I'll introduce in just a moment, and she very well may be aware of this this experiment that I'm going to kind of lead up to and introduce the topic, uh, which is perfect because of her latest book. Show of hands, how many people have seen or have heard of the experiment Universe 25, where scientists, and they've done this in multiple different experiments, multiple different times, and it all ended the exact same way. Universe 25 was a world of mice that they studied, where they allowed the mice to reproduce to create their governmental system, how they operated, and it was great, where the mice would uh, would multiply. They would expand. They would do what they do on a normal, natural basis. But then, about 300, 400 days into it, once they've populated and kind of maxed out their spaces, things begin to change a little bit, where their population would begin to decrease, where they would start seeing health issues. They would start seeing a hierarchy of those of the elite mice and the not-so-elite mice. They would start seeing the slowdown of reproduction to where they wouldn't even try to mate. There would be an increase of homosexuality within the colonizations. There would be an increase in cannibalism. There would be an increase of crime where they would attack one another and kill and eat one another until eventually they all died off because they could not reverse course And the population of mice would completely die off. If you've never seen this experiment, I highly recommend that you do. And I've been saving this article for a long time, trying to find a way to break it into into the show and talk about this. And this is the perfect time to do so with our latest guest, as she is the co-author of the book, The uh, Pragmatist's Guide to Crafting Religion. Excited to have on the program with us here, Simone Collins. Simone, how are you today? I am great, and I cannot believe you are referring to that that study because we totally talk about it in the Pragmatist Guide to Crafting Religion. It's such a deep cut, and you know it, it, it may not be perfectly predictable, but it, it does have some very telling and chilling parallels to current societal problems. So it is a great example to present. Well done. Uh, well, it, it like I said, I've been holding on to this for months, waiting for the right time to use this. So when I saw the opportunity to chat with you about it, it it was perfect because we almost see a lot of those similarities. We're being told right now in society that we need to decrease population. We have China and other nations that are putting in, you know, or I think China may have just released theirs, but they did have their one child rule or two child rule. We're talking about here, the AOCs and the left wing on the politically in the country talk about how we need to start decreasing population because we're harming the environment and we're ruining and raping the earth of its resources. This is the mindset that we're being told right now, that our resources are stretched so thin that we cannot handle the current population. 
And as a result, we're seeing the decrease in population. But the question is, after multiple experiments like this, will we see the same outcome at the end of the day if we continue down this road? Well, and what's, what's disturbing to us when we look at this problem is if you really care about the environment in terms of long-term effects, uh, a hard landing on demographic collapse, as we describe it, which is just, hey, you know, let, let populations collapse as they're going, you know, let things go as things are happening, is actually going to hurt environmental causes over the long run um, in a couple of ways, including, you know, by eliminating from the population those who care about environmentalism because they aren't having kids. And yes, believe it or not, many traits beyond just height and uh, you know, eye color and things like that are heritable, including pro-sociality, including political affiliation. So what's interesting is, you know, by choosing to eliminate themselves in the gene pool, essentially, um, these groups that really care about environmental causes are kind of setting things up for environmental disaster. It's very odd. It is very odd. Have you heard of some of the, now this is, I guess, put on the tinfoil hat for a second here, kind of conspiratorial, but the Middle East has talked about at least creating these societies where it's real along the river, but it's built with walls to where you don't have to travel more than 15 minutes of a walk to go shopping, to go to your job, and then leave the rest of Earth, I guess, and the, the, the surrounding areas completely barren wasteland because we want nature to kind of take its course. Uh, is this a realistic thing that's going on, and is it something that we should be concerned about when they talk about trying to control not only population but the way that we live on the Earth as well? Hey, I mean, we're okay with anyone taking approaches that they think may or may not work. Um, our <laughs> biggest concerns are, and sorry, my three-month-old is kind of joining the call too, but we're all about having kids here. That's right. Um, what we're concerned about is, you know, if we don't if we don't take an intentional approach to the future. So we love it when people have you know, oh, let's design this new type of city-state. Let's design this new type of, of city or town or way of living. Great, let's do that. Yeah. Um, but right now, you know, we're headed to a future for the most part in which we aren't planning for a total change in the way that all of our economic and infrastructure and governmental systems work. And right now, they're all predicated on constant growth. You know, our pension funds are based on that. Social security is based on that. The stock market is based on that. The way the city infrastructure is paid for is based on that. And if we just suddenly switch to declining populations, we're going to see the same kind of crumbling infrastructure that we see in Detroit. We're going to see the same kind of non-growing stock market that we see in Japan. So we have to prepare for these things. And also, very importantly, we have to protect cultures that right now are going to go extinct because they do not reproduce above repopulation rate, ranging from South Koreans to Janes. Mm. That is a cause for concern, absolutely. We're talking with Simone Collins, co-author of the book, The Pragmatist Guide to Crafting Religion, which is a series of The Pragmatist Guide as well, which you can find online at pragmatist.guide, and you can see all the different books on there. Is there a forced uh, concern about the lowering of population globally where we're seeing right now tons of articles every day about uh, lower sperm count in men, lower fertility rates in women, where it's, you know, either vaccines or it's the food that we eat or the dietary uh, habits that we have or the exercise habits that we have that we're getting lazier and that we're seeing uh, not just because the want to try and reproduce, but just the ability to do so because of the lowering fertility rates worldwide. Yeah, this is a huge issue. Um, and yeah, fertility is plummeting among men and women, and we're very concerned about it. And one of the big parts of our advocacy currently is to encourage more development and 
uh, ideally the, you know, making Reprotech more affordable, be that IVF or PGPT, which allows you to select embryos based on polygenic risk scores that reduce odds of cancer, infertility, all sorts of problems. Um, because the more we can leverage technology to overcome these issues, the better. Yeah. And also, you know, people are just having kids later, which means they are going to have more complications. So we hope to make tech more available to those who want to use it to overcome this problem. It is a real problem. That is a real problem. What kind of technology? You had mentioned that, and, I, and we've heard, you know, individuals like Elon Musk mention certain technology, the Neuralink that he's working on. But what kind of technology is out there to try and assist in this area? Yeah, so the uh, the baby you're hearing who's dropped to my chest right now, Titan Invictus, um, was a, uh, she was created through IVF. We selected her embryo based on polygenic risk scores. So now it is possible, instead of just getting a PGTA test, which enable parents to pick um, IVF babies based on gender and just making sure their embryos were eukaryotic, you can now select for basically polygenic risk scores related to types of cancers, schizophrenia, um, even things like the odds of developing severe anxiety or depression. So we were able to, among embryos that we created, look at the scores of these embryos, and we selected Titan over here based on her odds of experiencing different kinds of diseases. So, you know, my mom died very young of ovarian cancer. We were able to look at Titan's cancer risks and try to sort of head these things off um, at, at the start. Plus, knowing your kid's polygenic risk scores enables you to raise a kid who knows that they need to go through cancer screenings earlier if they do have an elevated risk. Yeah. So even if you can't necessarily select embryos based on these scores, you can raise children to prepare for certain risks better than other people, which is great. That is great. I This is a, an entirely new world. I've never even heard of a lot of this stuff. I have heard the idea that we're moving towards the, the ability to, uh, with these different embryos, to be able to even choose uh, the skin color, to, to choose eye color, to choose hair color, to choose even personality. Is this the direction we're going here? Oh, absolutely. And intelligence and all sorts of other uh, fun and controversial things. You bet. Wow. It's fascinating. We got we got just about a minute here before we have to k- take a hard break here. Uh, where does this fall in, uh, I guess, for those uh, for religious individuals or for those that uh, kind of look at it the more traditional way? Where does this fall in line here? And are you getting pushback from that? Um, you know, we get pushback, but we're more allied than anything else. The important thing is we want to work with families to protect their culture in the face of rapid technological development that is very liable to wipe it out entirely. So what the Pragmatist Guide to Crafting Religion is largely about is not just helping secular people craft religions that help them, you know, basically live lives with good mental health and have kids who pass on a good culture, but also to help people with religious traditions that have been around for thousands of years reinforce and protect those traditions from mimetic viruses today that are spreading and systematically erasing them. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we got to take a break here. Can you stick over one more segment? with us awesome i love it i love this conversation very fascinating it's simone collins author of the book the pragmatist guide to crafting religion again they have an entire series which you can find at pragmatist.guide and you can see all of their books including the pragmatist guide to life the guide to crafting religion to governance to relationships and to sexuality you can see all those books on there when we come back i want to continue this conversation on what this could look like in the future as well not just with the choosing of what your child may look like but like you said preserving culture preserving tradition preserving religion and to continue to grow the population the way that it used to. According to Elon Musk, we could double the world population and still be fine with the resources we have on the earth right now. We'll continue that conversation when we come back for a Friday's episode here of The Voice of Reasons. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. 
fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. John Wright, it is welcome back into the program. I tell you, Fridays we love to have a little bit interesting conversations. We're definitely doing it today to wrap up your week. want to remind you real quickly that Monday our newsletter will be coming out. We have our monthly newsletter that is completely free. If you've not signed up, go to the website at HoosierReason.com. That's H-O-O-S-E-R Reason.com. No I in Hoosier. No I. H-O-O-S-E-R Reason.com. It'll come up and say, do you want to become a Hoosier-holic? You're like, yeah, totally. (laughs) And you'll get that email on Monday morning. Also, you can read our blog. You'll see all the great content we have on there and a heck of a lot more. By the way, you can also follow our social media, all of it as well, at Hoosier Reason as well. Right now, we're hanging out with Simone Collins, author of the book, The Pragmatist Guide to Crafting Religion, as we talk about AI moving forward with technology and the population of the globe. As they say, we need to decrease that population, but is it really going to help us in some way, shape, or form as we go down that road, according to experiments that we've seen in the past done? Well, to rodents, but we can at least see the uh, general idea is that when that happens, then we move in a very negative way, and we start seeing self-destruction of the world. Uh, Simone, as you mentioned, kind of going into it, and you've already kind of referenced this a bit, that there's a fear of technology and the way it changes, because sometimes we don't trust it. Personally, as the conservative guy that I am, I don't trust it when government controls it, and they kind of control us, so I'm kind of a hands-off kind of guy. Uh, but at the same time, technology is going to change. It's going to evolve. It's going to get bigger and better, and we have to learn to adapt with it. But with the concerns of it, uh, there's a concern of, uh, let's just take a reference of Terminator in the future, of fighting against AI and technology because it's going to turn against us. You're saying that right now this is a way to try and integrate technology and in benefiting the humankind, isn't it? Yeah, well, we agree with, I think, both or all approaches to technology. So we personally, culturally, are very technophilic. However, we also argue in the Pragmatist's Guide to Crafting Religion that there are many cultures that literally, we we say they're air-gapped, you know, against the modern technology. Consider the Amish, for example, that are actually doing much better than many other cultures, right? They, They are able to maintain their high birth rates. They're able to maintain their culture, but only because they're totally opting out. So either you have to be very intentional about the way that you adopt and assimilate with technology. You need to leverage it so it doesn't leverage you, or you need to literally air gap yourself from it, cut yourself off from it entirely. Sure. Yeah, one or the other. And sometimes I feel like I want to go that direction and cut myself off completely. Kind of hard to do in the media and radio industry, but uh, it is nice to think about. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, Real quickly, we got just a couple minutes here, but talk about the rest of your books and your entire guide that you have with these multiple different books. What's the theme and what do you guys work on in each one of these books? Well, I think when you look back in the 1950s and 60s, you'll see these like instructional videos like Coronet Films would make for, for high school, sort of teaching you basic life skills, very practical, very pragmatic, you know, how to buy things for the economy, how to host a dinner party, how to manage a dating and marriage. And we've taken a very similar but modern and more technophilic approach with our pragmatist guides to life, relationships, religion, sexuality, and governance. How do you approach these? from a very first-principles approach, um, really without religion. With, with religion being the exception, we try to make our books as unbiased as possible. We basically say, here's the evidence we can see. And sometimes, you know, yes, both academic but also more practical because in some cases academia is pretty bankrupt in its research. Yeah. Um, you make a decision for yourself what you want to believe and what you're going to do with this information. But it's really about practical takeaways from information. So not just theory, but what are you going to do about it and how is it going to help you? 
I love that. The guides and tips to try and get you through life. My generation apparently needs a lot of those tips and tricks to be able to get through life. Uh, Relationship-wise, how do you think that relationships have changed over the years, especially with uh, social social media, online dating, as opposed to face-on-face? Do you think that the industry's changed quite a bit? Absolutely. Dating markets are completely broken. You know, to use an economic term, there's a serious market failure taking place. And now it's harder than ever to find a well-matched partner to end up married. And this is one of the key drivers behind collapsing birth rates in developed countries, especially like ours. Mm, very interesting. Simone, it is uh, author of the book, The Pragmatist Guide to Crafting Religion. You can find all of the books on the website at pragmatist.guide. Go and check it out. Uh, fascinating stuff. And it's something I think we desperately need as we continue on to see the increased technology and the changing world that we see in front of us. Simone, it's so great to talk to you, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on. we got to get you back on and talk some more about this here soon. Yeah, I love that. Have a great weekend. You as well. Appreciate it. Great stuff. Great information. Great topic. I love it. We'll do that again coming up here again soon. Right around the corner next week, we get a lot more to get to. We have some more elected officials. We have the debt ceiling we need to discuss and some others as well. Until then, though, enjoy the weekend. The Grammys apparently are this weekend. I won't be watching because all the music there kind of stinks. But nonetheless, we'll represent. Maybe we'll have our own Grammys here on the show. You know, like real metal, real rock. Sorry, but Machine Gun Kelly is not rock and roll or metal. Just throwing that out there. Until then, be your own voice of reason. Be that catalyst for change. We'll see you on the radio next week. It's time for you to speak up, speak out, speak loud, speak proud, speak the truth, and always speak some reason. This is the voice of reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.